Nikita Khrushchev uh, once upon a time was the premier, I guess that means the prime minister of the uh, old Soviet Union. And he would often uh, speak out against the policies and the uh, atrocities of Joseph Stalin. I'm sure many of you uh, know some of the things he did. And apparently once he uh, censured Stalin in a public meeting, but he was interrupted by a shout from a heckler who uh, was in the audience. And the heckler said, you were one of Stalin, Stalin's colleagues. Why didn't you stop him? It's all very, right, all very well to speak now, but why didn't you stop him then? Immediately, Khrushchev roared, who said that? And there was an agonizing silence as no one in the room dared to move a muscle. Then Khrushchev replied quietly, now you know why. Now you know why I didn't speak. Because of fear. The fear of what might happen if he did. And I think we're all, to some extent, uh, captive to that kind of fear. Hopefully not in such an extreme situation as that. But we can all, to a greater or less extent, be slaves to the fear of others. The fear of what others might do or think in various different situations. And to combat that fear, we often... Uh, have two basic approaches. Uh, One is to make those we fear smaller. Um, I think they say uh, in public speaking, if you're uh, scared of your audience, you should imagine them uh, in some sort of ridiculous situation, I don't know, with something like a clown costume or something. To me, that would make it even more terrifying. But you're supposed to imagine your audience in some ridiculous situation, and it makes you feel less afraid of them. Uh, You make them smaller in your mind to make the fear less. Uh, Another way is just to simply run away, uh, to put distance between you and those you fear and make them smaller in that way, Uh, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, We can make them smaller, or we can ridicule them perhaps not to their face, but to other people, and we make them small. That's one way to approach the fear of others. Another way is to make ourselves bigger, to make ourselves stronger so that we feel less afraid of the other person. Uh, If we're physically afraid of them, we might work out, we might... Uh, make ourselves physically stronger to make ourselves feel less afraid of them. Uh, And so we see these are probably the two most common approaches to fear. And they're not always bad. There are things to be said for both. But Peter, in these verses, gives an alternative approach or gives another approach. Listen to what he says again in verses 13 to 15. He says, Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. 
And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Peter acknowledges that we're often afraid of others, but the approach he recommends is to sanctify God in our hearts when we fear others. What does that mean? What does it mean to sanctify God in your hearts? Uh, Sanctify is one of those kind of religious words, isn't it? Uh, It's perhaps one of those words which make us yawn and makes us know we're in church. Because you don't really hear that word anywhere else. But it's an important one. There's a whole lot wrapped up in that word sanctify. Uh, And it has a lot more application to your everyday life than you might perhaps appreciate to start with. Uh, To sanctify means to set apart, to make special, to set aside for special use. That's what the word sanctify means. Uh, I'm sure many of us Some of us, anyway, have special cutlery or special crockery that we only bring out on special occasions. Remember, uh, my mum had some china which would uh, only be brought out when certain people came to visit. And that crockery was special. It was, if you like, sanctified. It was set apart for special use. Uh, You may have items of clothing that you do not use every day, but they're reserved for weddings or funerals or special occasions. And you can say that clothing is sanctified, it's set apart for a particular use. Uh, Perhaps an example which might resonate with other people here. Uh, You may have tools in your worksheds, which are reserved for a special use. And you would be very irritated if they were used for another one. Uh, And you have that tool specifically set aside for a particular task. And you could say that tool is sanctified. It's set apart. The Bible even teaches that if we're a believer here this morning... If we're trusting in Christ, we are sanctified. You might say, well, I don't feel very sanctified. Perhaps you're very aware of the sins and the faults in your life. Nevertheless, the Bible says that we are sanctified because we are set apart by God for a special use. God has a special purpose for each and every one of us if we are a believer here this morning. Uh, The book of Ephesians says that God has prepared beforehand the good works that we are to accomplish. And through our lives, God is sharpening us. He's preparing us. He's cleaning us for that purpose. And that purpose isn't exactly the same for all of us. Generally speaking, it is. We exist to glorify God, to serve him. But for each of us, we have a special purpose. And God is sanctifying us and has sanctified us 
for that purpose. But in this verse, that's not what Peter's talking about. Uh, Peter, in this verse, is saying that we must sanctify God in our hearts. You think, well, how, how can you sanctify God? God doesn't need sanctification. He is holy. But what he means is, is that we need to set God apart, special in our lives. God needs to have a special place in our heart over and above anyone else. And of course, a husband sets apart his wife. He may know many women, but his wife is special. Uh, A wife themselves will set apart their husband. She may know many men, but her husband is, if you like, sanctified in her heart. And that's what our relationship with God must be like. He must have a supreme and special place in our hearts. And Peter says, that's a remedy for fear. When we feel afraid of others, Peter says, set God as special in your heart. But that leads to the natural question, doesn't it? Well, how does that help? How does that solve the problem of a terrifying person or situation you are in? How does setting God aside as special in your heart, how does that help our fears? Well, we have a great illustration of this in the Old Testament. And you might notice the picture on front, the front of your service sheet. I did have a uh, slightly more um, uh, severe picture, which I was tempted to put on, but I didn't. I thought uh, we'd go for something a bit more mild. But it's the story of David and Goliath, which I'm sure we are all familiar with. Uh, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. The Philistines were fighting the Israelites, and every morning, the Philistine champion, Goliath, who was a giant, offered a challenge to the Israelites. And he stood on the hill, and he told them to send a champion from their side to fight him. And he said, if your champion defeats me, then my people will surrender and serve you. The Philistines will be your servants. But if I kill your champion, then you must surrender and serve us. And every morning, he gave this challenge. But nobody dared fight him. All the Israelites trembled as they heard Goliath's challenge. Nobody dared to stand up to this huge and terrifying Philistine. That is, until the shepherd boy David arrived on the battlefield. He was a young boy at the time, and he was bringing uh, food for his brothers who were in the army. And he heard this challenge from Goliath, and he is incensed, because not only is Goliath challenging Israel... 
He's even blaspheming God. He's saying, your God is not strong enough to defeat us. Your God is not strong enough to defeat me. And David is incensed. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And he goes to the king of Israel, to Saul, and he volunteers to fight the giants. Well, you can imagine the reaction from the army. You can imagine the reaction from Saul. How can you fight Goliath? You're a shepherd boy. How can you possibly hope to defeat Goliath? But David responds and he says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. David says, God's protected me in the past. While I've been looking after the sheep, I've defeated lions and bears who are much stronger than I am because God was with me. And if he helped me then, he can help me now against Goliath. That's what it means to sanctify God in your hearts. That's what it means to give God a special place in your heart, to trust him and to listen to him above all. The Israelites were primarily concerned about their safety. They looked at Goliath, they looked at his size, they looked at his spear, they looked at his sword, they looked at his shield, and they said, there's no way we can win. But David was more concerned about the honor and glory of God. God's strength was bigger in his eyes than Goliath's strength. Uh, Someone once said that uh, the Israelites, if you like, looked at Goliath and they said, we're so small, we cannot possibly win. But David said, our God is so great, we can't possibly lose. Do you see how the perspective was completely different? That's what it means to sanctify God in our hearts. When we're faced with situations and people who are beyond us, uh, who cause us to be afraid, instead of merely trying to make them small or make ourselves big, primarily we need to see God as bigger in our mind's eye. To see him in all his strength and in all his glory. And Peter tells us that is the key to combating fear. To see God as majestic as he really is. To see God as great as he really is. To see God as powerful as he truly is. But to close, you might think, well, how can I do that? in everyday life. I mean, it's easy to say that, isn't it? We need to see God as big and our problems as small. But the problem is, our problems so often do seem big and they're closer to home and they seem more real so often than God does. He can often seem distant and far away and our problems so real and close at hand. 
Well, I've just got three ways we can sanctify God in our hearts in everyday life. And um, I wish there was some good acronym these spell or some clever way to remember them, but I couldn't think of one. Perhaps you can. Uh, But these are three ways we can sanctify God in our hearts. The first way is by prioritizing God's commands in our lives. The first way we sanctify God in our hearts, give him a special place in our hearts, is by prioritizing God's commands. That's what David did. Uh, The Israelites didn't. Um, They saw Goliath and were afraid for their safety. And their safety took precedence over obeying God. They should have listened to God's promises. They should have trusted what God said, but they didn't. Instead, they were more concerned for their safety. God dropped down the list of their priorities. David had him in first place. There was once an artist, apparently, called Adolf Menzel. And he painted, or started to paint, uh, a painting of Frederick the Great. I don't know anything about him, but this guy, Adolf Menzel, did a painting of him as he addressed his generals before the Battle of Luthen. Again, I have no idea what battle that is. Uh, But he was painting this painting, and he spent years on this great masterpiece. Apparently, he worked on it from 1859 to 1861, but he never finished it. Uh, The painting contains the background uh, with all the generals standing in a semicircle. But the main figure, Frederick the Great himself, was left blank. Menzel delayed painting the main point of it, of the painting. He painted everything else, he focused on everything else, but neglected the focal point. And he never finished it, and he died before he could complete. And that's a little picture of so many of our lives. We focus so much energy and attention on other things, which are important, which have their place, and yet we leave out the most important. What does Jesus want us to do? What does he say is most important? We may get our finances straightened, Uh, We may get our career sorted. Uh, We may get our house built. But if we do all those things, important as they are, but neglect what Jesus says, we've missed the point. We must prioritize God's commands. Let me just give one very clear example. Um, The Bible says... Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, It's clear. Hebrews chapter 10. Do not forsake assembling together. And yet so often other things can take priority over meeting together. I'm not saying how many times we must meet together. Uh, We all have different responsibilities and different things 
to do. Sometimes we may not be able to meet every week. I'm not going to be here myself next week, but I have a clear conscience with that because I believe what I am doing is of importance as well. But we have to ask ourselves, what truly has the priority in our lives? We'll all stand before God one day and give an account of our lives. And it will be very clear on that day what our priorities were. Was our first priority obeying him? Or was it other things like those Israelites facing Goliath? This is the first way we combat fear. By saying, God is first. I'm going to obey him above all. And it's amazing. When you do it, when you do that, when you prioritize God in that way, it's amazing how many fears drop into the background. A lot of our fears stem from the fact that we leave disobedience as an option. Uh, If we don't leave disobedience as an option, a lot of choices in life become much, much simpler. I'll give one example. I hesitate to give an example from my own life, but I think it's pertinent. I used to work uh, in an office, um, and uh, on one occasion, and uh, the workplace treated me very, very well. I've got no complaints about the way they treated me. But on one occasion, uh, someone wanted me to tell a lie. I won't go into all the details of it. And uh, I tried to find all sorts of other ways around it. Uh, but in the end, all I could say was, I'm sorry, I cannot lie. It would be wrong for me to lie in this situation. But you see, if disobedience had been an option, I'd have been in turmoil forever. Thinking, oh, if, if I just lie this once... If I just tell a lie, it'll be so much easier. I won't suffer the wrath of my boss. I won't have his eyes looking on me. I won't risk my job or a promotion or a raise. But when you give God priority, there's no discussion. There's no argument. There's no turmoil. Because I know what I must do. I must sanctify God in my heart. That's the first way. We sanctify God in our heart, prioritize his commands, give him first place in your life, and the other things will drop into place. There's another way. There's another way we can sanctify God in our lives, and that is by reminding ourselves what God has done. Remind ourselves what God has done. That's what David did uh, as he fought Goliath. Do you remember what he said? He said to Saul, he said to the people of Israel, God's been with me in the past. Uh, He helped me fight against the bear. He helped me fight against the lion. And if he helped me then, he will help me now. He reminded himself of God's great deeds. That's really what so many of the Psalms are about. Uh, You can almost just pick at random, pick any psalm, And you'll see David or whoever wrote the psalm recounting what God has done in the past. They're reminding themselves that we have a great God. We have a God who can work 
even when we cannot. We have a God who is mightier than any other, than any enemy. That's the second way we can sanctify God, reminding ourselves of what God has done. What God has done in the Bible, by reading God's words, that's one of the big reasons God has given us a Bible. That's one of the big reasons God has given us the Old Testament, so we can see story after story after story of people, men and women, whom God has helped and given strength to in the worst of situations. That's why we should be soaking ourselves in God's words so that we can call to mind what God has done, so that God is big in our minds and not small. And it's not just the Bible, it's in our own lives. Uh, I'm sure many here, you could ask them, would be able to point to great times in their life where God has stepped in, where God has done wonderful things. And we should remind ourselves of those things. Uh, Samuel raised a rock, didn't he? And he called it Ebenezer, which means thus far has the Lord helped us. And we should have Ebenezers, if you like, in our lives where God has helped us, where God has brought us through the greatest difficulties. And we can say, if God was with me then, he'll be with me now. That's the second way we sanctify God in our hearts, by reminding ourselves of what he has done. But third and lastly, uh, we can sanctify God in our hearts by praising God publicly and privately. Uh, we've seen we need to priority, prioritize God's commands in our lives. We need to remind ourselves what God has done in our lives and in the lives of others. But lastly, we should praise God publicly and privately. That's what David did. Uh, David, when uh, he saw and heard what Goliath was doing and saying, he said, who is this Philistine? Who is this man who dares to defy the armies of the living God? And he glorified God with his lips. He said, God is with us. God is great. Who is this Philistine in comparison to him? And that's what we must do. Praise God. Remind ourselves of his good deeds, his great deeds, but then share that with others and in prayer to him. Now, obviously, uh, God did not need David's defense. Uh, God could have dealt with Goliath himself easily. Uh, he could have caused a fly to fly into Goliath's mouth and choked him. It was no difficulty. Goliath was no problem for God's. But the point is, God deserved David's defense. God wanted to hear David's defense. He wanted David to sanctify him in his heart. Because God's not just concerned about our problems. He's concerned about us in our problems. God wants to transform us, and one of the best ways he does that is by putting us through trials and difficulties and inconveniences 
to strengthen us and to teach us more about him. Sometimes God wants to defeat our fears by building our strength, not simply by removing them himself. Uh, Someone once said that sometimes the Lord calms the storm. Sometimes, though, he lets the storm rage and he calms his child. That is what it means to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Remind yourself of the strength of God and then praise him. The praise of God is our strength. That's what Nehemiah said. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the uh, armies of Israel coming out of Jerusalem to uh, attack the, I think it was the Egyptian army. And I think it says there was a million soldiers coming to attack the city. And God told, I think it was Jehoshaphat or King Asa, one of the kings, and said to him, you will have the victory. And so he set his army in order. But at the front, he put the musicians At the front, he put those musicians who were praising God. And you think, that's a daft thing to do. You don't normally put at the front of your army the musicians. You can't kill many people with a harp or with a violin or without instruments they had. But the point was, their strength was not in them. Their strength was in God. The joy of the Lord was their strength. He gave them the victory. And again, open the book of Psalms up to any page and you'll see this. Psalm 71, verse 14. David says, I will hope continually and I will yet praise you more and more. My mouth shall show forth your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers of it. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, even of yours only. Our praise is our strength. Not because it's our praise, because of who we are praising. If you want to combat fear in your life, praise God often, privately and in public. I'll just close a little story about uh, a preacher called Billy Bray. I don't know if you've ever heard of Billy Bray, but uh, so I've read that he uh, apparently found Christ after hitting rock bottom, uh, literally. Uh, Apparently, he was a poor miner, and he was uh, a hopeless drunk, and he could not escape uh, his drunkenness. And uh, that was until he had a near-fatal accident uh, working in the mine, and it stunned him into thinking about his life. And quite suddenly, uh, to the astonishment of all around him, He found God's forgiveness in Christ, and he became a preacher for the next 43 years. And apparently he was renowned for sometimes breaking into spontaneous singing in the middle of his sermons. Don't worry, it's not going to happen this morning. But he would break into spontaneous singing. Apparently someone was less than impressed with his singing voice, and he replied this when this person criticized him. He said, God would just as soon hear a crow as a nightingale. I'll sing all I want to sing. And if I shut my mouth, my feet would still shout. 
Every time my left foot hits the ground, it says amen. And every time my right foot hits the ground, it says glory. And I just can't help myself. If they were to put me into a barrel, I would shout glory out through the bunghole. That was his attitude to the greatness of God's. He fought his fear with praise. God was big in his mind, and that made his fears small. And that's how we can combat fear in our lives as well. We all will face fears. They won't always disappear immediately. But let's sanctify God in our hearts. Make him the priority. Make obedience to him a non-negotiable. Remind yourselves of his greatness and his goodness. And lastly, praise him, both in private and in public. And we'll close by doing just that. Uh, We'll sing number 11 to close. Uh, Number 11 in your hymn books. I'll praise my maker while I've breath, and when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall ne'er be passed while life and thought and being last or immortality endure. So we'll close by singing number 11. <laughs>